a laundrette. A laundrette. I have been to one. I've definitely been in one. I don't know if I've... Yeah, yeah, I have when I've been travelling, yes. Well, why would you go in one and not use one? <laughs> so I was just going to ask myself. Uh, I'm not sure. I was wondering if I was accompanying somebody else, but yes, I believe I have been to a laundrette. You know, so you've got lots of machines. Okay, so once a year I go to the laundrette in Paris. There's one quite near a hotel because you can either pay sort of like 600 euros to wash six pairs of pants or you can go to the laundrette. So off, yeah. off I go with my bag. It's often the hotel prices of laundry that drive you to a laundrette. No, hundred percent. The... And this is it's mad. It's like to get a t-shirt washed is like thirteen pounds. I know. Like, I just want. What? I just need underwear. I mean, and that's going to just break because we haven't really earned this year, so it's not luxury I can afford. <laughs> and but clean clothes may be needed. I don't know. Clean clothes are needed. And in Australia, we stay in an apartment that has a washing machine. So right. you do, so in the hotel, so I go off to the little laundrette and I take my computer and I can do some work, listen to some podcasts, whatever it is. So I went to the laundrette and there's normally maybe one or two people in it, normally. And this is, what day is it? It's day Thursday. So got there, right? All 12 machines full and going, oh. right? I don't know if someone might say, well, that's normal, but I don't think that's normal. So I'm thinking, what am I going to do? So I thought, I'm just going to wait because it's not that long. Turns out there was one woman who had nine machines, <laughs> what was she watching? she had nine I saw her open one and I thought okay that's one then I saw her open two and I thought this is and then another man had another three and I thought this is a joke she was washing I felt like she'd just taken people's clothes and put them in the washing she was washing everything from children's clothes to gold jackets to carpets to sheets to so she's probably the woman that works for the hotel and charges ridiculous prices and then just goes to the laundrette and uses all of the machines but I'm just not sure because she had like a, a Chanel handbag a fur coat lots you of you would earn a lot of money if you're charging those prices <laughs> and just pop into the laundrette like hair and makeup the full the full kind of going for a night out works and yet she had nine machines on the go so I don't know if there should be some limit thing you can do. I guess you can do that. So that was... Um, Did you get yours done? Yeah, I kind of thought, well, you know, I'm here now and I'd scrunched it all up in a bag and it was all... So I, I waited it out and then I turned around, all the drying machines are gone. But these these amazing drying machines, 10 minutes, everything's dry. Yeah, That's nice. incredible. Does it come out warm? It's Yeah, Toasty. warm and mm -hmm. lovely. And so I got it done before I like had warm to... warm socks. For, I didn't put them on. Because I had socks on. I'd gone dressed to the laundrette, just to say. <laughs> it's, not, it's not like I had no clothes. It was just Desperate running low. Situation. Desperate situation. <laughs> and then it was it was strange because then I, I, I ran in uh, to Roland Garros for a meeting. And normally by Thursday, Friday, second week, it's feeling this starting to feel a little bit more normal because normally towards the end there are less people. Or today the semifinals, ah, yes. you know, they began at three o'clock. So people might arrive a little bit later. So this is... This is almost feeling fairly normal because when I, I think I rove at, arrived at 11 o'clock this morning, there wouldn't be anyone there anyway. No, of course. And that it, yeah, it does feel a bit more normal with less people around. Yeah. I, I assume a lot of the media have gone home. Yes, I think a lot of media, because a lot of media, well, depending what country, well, actually most of the countries people are coming from, you have to quarantine for two weeks when you go back. So I think a lot of media from certain countries, once their players left they then went back because you can cover the tournament remotely we covered the US Open remotely I know some of the BBC Russell was in Paris but you were covering it remotely so I think it was to be here when 
the players of their respective country were in. So you could be courtside, get a feel, speak to them or try and get close to them. But I think a lot of journalists did go back and then cover the rest of it remotely and then start to eat into that quarantine time, which kind of makes sense. Uh, but it's um, it's been, I don't know, you, you how long? You were working for it, what? You did the first, how many days do you, you do? I did till the second Monday. Did, oh. Eight days, nine days? So did you miss the one o'clock in the morning finish? Yes, I did. Yeah. <laughs> I was later. tucked up in bed. I watched it the beginning was... of it. I watched the beginning. Oh, did you? Yeah. Okay. And then I, was, I just yeah. thought, I'm going to sleep. As much as I was looking forward to that match, really looking forward to that match, yeah. because Yannick Sinner is such an exciting player, a test for Nadal, how would it be, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, a couple of sets in, the first set was great. A couple of sets in, I was hoping that it would be straight sets, which it turned out to be. You know, as much as I was looking forward to it, it was getting very, very late. It had been a long day. And I think at the end and condition wise, and it was cold and very swirly, it was, I think it was good to get that done because it could have, I mean, can you imagine if team and Schwartzman had been last on? Mm, yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, actually the day could have been a lot longer to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know what? In the end, I think we were talking sort of three, four o'clock in the morning finish. I think, I think we wrapped up about one thirty, and it felt like a bit of a bonus. Yeah, I mean, imagine if Sinner had nicked that first set, and then oh yeah, you know. And at the time, in commentary, you want him to get it because it's so exciting. But then when you put your other hat on, you're like, oh, that's actually probably for the best. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you can, it's kind of win-win, isn't it? Either way, um, for sure, because. More often than not, we want really exciting, thrilling matches, of course. We want it to be really competitive. And if it goes to five sets, goes to five sets, that's great. We get stuck in and we love it. And I, it, I think, yeah, it would have been the same thing there. But the fact that it finishes straight sets, it's like, okay, that's still fine. He, you he know, played a good couple of sets. That was great. You know, you got a mention today on Radio Roland Garros. I heard. Did you? <laughs> I did. <laughs> Indeed. I heard of Marcus Buckland chatting about me. Yeah, I, w I was told to pass on the message just in case you weren't listening that you did get a message on the radio. Yes, I know. I, I, was was it because there was somebody a listener was in Bromley? Yes, I think so. I wasn't. Is I wasn't right? there, but I think so. Yes, it's my neck of the woods. So. And he mentioned you, and then Marcus mentioned you. Oh, the listener mentioned me. Yes, he mentioned you in a tweet because oh. he said that's also where Naomi comes from, oh, right. or plays, yeah. or something. Ish. And then Marcus. Ish. ish. There we go. And then Marcus sort of said, oh, yeah, and he's a great tennis player. So I, I was told to pass on the little mention to you on, on, on radio today. Oh. So there you go. But did you know something else? Probably a little bit more fascinating than that today, but maybe not I don't quite. know. I feel like I've peaked. Kvitova Kenin was just the fourth match in the women's draw at Roland Garros this year featuring two seeds. Amazing. Amazing, right? It's just, it's amazing. That's it. <laughs> It's just been, uh, look, are you a fan? You get people, are you a fan of when this happens and the seed tumbles and you get stories, even though within those stories, you might get matches that are not so good? Or are you someone that wants the seeds to be in and you just want the, the big experienced players through to the end? Because you do get this player saying, well, these stories are great, but at the end of the day, you're not going to get a great semi-final, you're not going to get a great final. No, I, I mean, firstly, I love an upset. I think it's the best thing about just sport in general. No, you love it at the time, but do you love it at the next match when you could have had that big name yeah, so and you no I, longer I suppose it depends. Like, I mean, one of my, you know, I, I love the Grand Slams. The fact there's 128 people 
in each event. So across the men's and women's events, you've got 128 first round matches. The seeds start tumbling. You can't keep track of what's going on because you're concentrating on this match. And then suddenly you get like caught 15. This person's gone out and this person's Wait, they're down. What? How has that happened? This seed's gone. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I picked her to win the title. She's out. That often happens to me. And (laughs) it's, you know, and I, and I, I love that part of, of tennis. And I think that it's good to have that, jeopardy i think you need that sort of jeopardy even hallett being the favorite the first tournament i think for the women's events in terms of the slams where we've actually had sort of a relatively solid favorite going in since serena was dominating um a few years ago and it's ended up being the most wide open of any of (laughs) any of the slams we've had in the end is, you know, there was still that element of jeopardy with Halep. We thought it might come with Anissa Mova, you know, and then it was, of course, Shiontek in the next round. So I personally love that part of it. Um, and And I think that that's, that's really important for the sport, but you do want some of the seeds and favorites to tumble out and you want some of them to stay in as you know if you know what I mean so you get a covet of a Kenin and that's great because Kenin won the Australian Open it back yep. in January 1999 it feels like by this point but <laughs> it was only the beginning <laughs> of the year and um and you know I mean for Kvitova everybody knows that if she's playing well she's capable of winning a slam so to kind of have that match and then you have the kind of the, the people who'd caused the upsets oh, it was a great balance it's interesting I'm finding that Sophia Kennan, Sonia Kennan, is really dividing opinion with people I'm working with here at Roland Garris. Now, I was fortunate enough to speak to her during that run in Australia, and I actually spoke to her ahead of the final. I think I spoke to her after the final. And she was she was lovely. She was sweet. She is a young, young girl who's suddenly been thrust into the spotlight, felt like she came out of nowhere, suddenly wins the Australian Open. But I found her really sweet. I found her young. I found her a girl. She liked girly stuff. She was a bit giggly. She, you know, she said super, like, it was super exciting. I was super this. I was super that. You know, I thought she was quite nice. But her demeanour on court is like a pit bull. I mean, isn't it? You know, she's, you know, and I spoke to someone who was courtside and said she swears a lot. There's a lot of swearing under her breath, which we can hear at the moment more because there isn't the crowd making all the noise she stomps around the court she gets her dad gets done for coaching she yells at her dad she looks like she's in tears she wins matches she's she's not happy at all as she continues to stomp but my word is she a fighter and for me she's a player she wants to be on that big stage she thrives some wilt hate the big stage hate the attention that is exactly where she wants to be. It's impressive, isn't it? Like, so I find impressive. That it's, it's that weird combination, isn't it? Because she looks like... I mean, if we think back to Roland Garros 2019, so what, 18 months ago, I mean, she was literally stamping her foot. And <laughs> like, I mean, like a three-year-old would do in a supermarket because they can't buy the sweets that they want to buy. And the ball has landed in. It's been called in. The umpires checked the ball is in. Everything is in. It's clearly in. These are the rules of the game that you've been playing your entire life. And she would stamp her foot and almost look like she was about to cry and throw this massive tantrum. But she, So she has improved greatly because she hasn't really been doing so much of that. I mean, she has been stomping around and she has been, you know, she, she still does have that sort of attitude. But it's definitely a little, <laughs> a little more contained. But I think she manages to do it without 
letting go, as you say, of the competitiveness and of the being in the moment and being desperate to win the next point. You know, it, she every the way that she acts is everything that you would tell juniors to stop doing because it will ruin their performances and it's like well look if you're going to keep talking about a shot that you missed five points ago then you know you're never going to you're never going to be able to play well because you're you're just living in the past and whatever but she can do it somehow (laughs) and she's still sort of fine and you know whenever she hits she's almost more annoyed when she hits winners and wins points than (laughs) when she loses them because when she hits this like outrageous shot she just kind of looks like why didn't I just do that every time why don't I just do that 48 times in a row and just win the match what's wrong with you um so I find it a really interesting balance it might be slightly dangerous in terms of as I say juniors coming up and thinking that you know that's not why she's good <laughs> that's also that's almost just something that she has to sort of deal with that it, it's it's just a part of her personality and as we say over the last 18 months she has reigned in I, I personally think quite significantly I think she'll continue to rein it in but hey I mean what can you say she's won a slam right so I mean she was asked what do you like about tennis? And she said, winning. <laughs> there's, you know, there's there's many things you can say about why you love the sport. She said, look, I, I like to win and I want to win. And it's winning, but it, it's amazing the amount of people here who, and I get it. Look, she was taken on Petra We all love Petra Kvitova. She is, she's a lovely person. She's a great player. She has been through Helen back with some of the things that she's been through. And I think we're all willing her on. Can she get this? Iga Sviantek is She's just 19. She's lovely. Very polite to speak to. You feel you can warm to her. But Sophia Kane, the amount of people are like, I just don't want to. I just, it's the attitude. But I sort of, I sort of admire that. Because when she was coming through, people have said she hasn't got a massive weapon. And she's got this fighting spirit. And the fighting spirit will see her through. It is seeing her through. This is the first tournament where she's got to the quarterfinals on clay at tour level. But but she fights and and it kind of makes me smile seeing how how grumpy she is on court. She wants to win and she wins. I don't know. I, I feel I don't feel sorry for her. She's a grand champ slam. She's a grand slam champion. But I don't get the negativity around her that I hear from lots of people. Even this evening, they're like, well, she can't win. Why can she not win? She's twenty one. She's and the mess- she can win. No, as in she can't win. As in they don't want her to win. It's like she can't win. Oh, right. do you know what I mean? Not like she can't win. It's like <laughs> sorry, I was going to be like, do these people know she's already won a slam? <laughs> no, they're like she can't win. But it, she is. You know, she's twenty-two and O in majors when she wins the first set. Yeah, she's she's good, right? I just I really think- admire. I really admire the fight. The stomp makes me laugh. I just it does yeah. make me laugh because See, she I'm stomps with, all the time. I'm on board with you. As in I quite enjoy a lot of what she does on the court I quite enjoy the antics I think it adds to the theatre I mean it tells you exactly what she's thinking and I tell you what if you could hear the inner monologue of all players even a Petra Kvitova even the calmest of players even a Sviantek if you could hear the inner monologue we'd all be locked up like <laughs> every every single one of them would be like okay this is uh, this is not great. I mean, the level of abuse that you just give yourself, and we've seen this. You know, you see it with the with the guys, and we do see bits and pieces of this. Think about Andy Murray over the years, and and you know, but that is part of being so competitive. That is part of driving yourself, part of pushing yourself in in your career. And it's just that she is 
it's just all out in her face the entire time and in the way that she walks. Um, but then also what comes with that, I mean, this ridiculous sense of belief. I mean, it's ridiculous with Kenan. And it, it, it's, I mean, it's not like it's not founded on anything. Of course, she's a world-class tennis player. She has been since she was a junior. She's She's been waiting to be a Grand Slam champion, ultimately. She's almost just been waiting to be old enough. <laughs> she was like, I knew I was going to do it. So, well, there we go. Um but, you know, I really like the, the combination. But I, I do understand why people don't and why people don't get on board with it. But I just think, oh, you're just all a bit boring. Like, you just want everybody to be nice and just go and play and be quiet and smile and appreciative and stuff. And, you know, it's, no, we want some personality. We want different players to do different things. Um, and as I say, in terms of that drive to be right at the top, you have to have something about you that is like out of the ordinary, you know, like, um, well, I mean, like I've talked about Novak Djokovic, I think he's got this almost like little bit of a lunatic streak in him that he just has to sort of channel in the right directions all the time. And it's the same. It's the same with Serena. It's, you know, if you want to be right up at the top, okay, somebody like a Roger Federer has managed to have a persona but it's in there it, it's in oh, there that for as a sure. junior he was a racket smashing junior he, it's in there but as you say he's he's managed to control it he's got the persona and, and he's got the image absolutely you know you've got i mean danielle collins roaring i think i could hear her from london to be honest some of those <laughs> those shrieks that she had through to her quarterfinal run and yeah, it's just, it's it's part of it. It's part of the interest. You know, you've got Medvedev with his various antics that he had at US Open last year. You know, he's kind of, you kind of love to hate him in that sort of way. And like, that's great. Otherwise, everybody's just so, so boring. And then also these people are so quick to complain when somebody underachieves because they're too nice and they're not driven enough. You know, the players that, you know, somebody like a Grigor Dimitrov or somebody like a Monfils or whatever, they'll all sit around, oh, you know, hasn't maxed out the potential. And I just think, well, what do you want? You know, like, I, I don't know. Kenin is going to max out her potential. Full stop, <laughs> end of story. She will win as many Grand Slams as is physically possible for her to do in her career. And that's great. Like, good for her. Kenan is becoming a superstar. Financially, she's absolutely set. Career-wise, she's absolutely set. She's a Grand Slam champion. The other thing that comes out of, of Grand Slams are the stories, the story of Hugo Gaston. So he beats down Vavrinka, and I think a number of us will be like, oh, no, we wanted Vavrinka against team. Who knew that Gaston, who is the same height as Diego Schwartzman, would come out and have team on the ropes like he did and take him the distance. And then the next day, after the thousand people chanting his name and singing the Marseillaise, the next day he actually came up to our studios because we do, um, there's a French show, French language show at midday. And then we do our English TV show in the evening. And he came up and he, and he is Schwartzman size, so sort of pocket size. But what a lovely young man. And suddenly he goes from no one really talking about him, possibly outside France not knowing him, to he had an entourage. So he came up to the studio and there were lots of people checking he was okay. Did he want a drink? Shall we put some makeup on him? And he was just sort of going, that night he was on uh, French television. And then suddenly everyone's talking about him, which is, which is a wonderful thing. And, and hopefully he can build on that and take it to, and fulfill the potential. And then you've got the likes of 
Martina Trevisan and around further Nadia Podoroska. I mean, it's life changing. What what could have been was life changing, but probably what has been. She's gone from 131 Podoroska qualifier to a top on Monday. She'll be a top 50 player. Amazing. So you've got money, you've got a schedule, you can plan. I mean, that's she's effectively got a career. She's got a really good, well-paid WTA career now, if nothing else. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? And we do see sort of the 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 qualifiers get to sort of fourth round on occasion. Third round is kind of a little bit more normal because third round is where you'll end up play. You would have had to have beaten a very high seed by by that point. And um, but yeah, but I mean, talk about that sort of run. And back to Gaston. Now, I said last week that I would have been, I would be outraged if we didn't get the Vavrinka team match. And oh yes, our podcast dated very quickly, by the way. <laughs> and I, I was pretty convinced. I was like, I will be outraged. That has to happen. Um, but it's one of those things where when he lost to Gaston, I actually was thinking, what? Well, <laughs> It wouldn't have been a great match against team then, you know. I just, I just kind of felt like, well, maybe he's not, maybe he's not playing as well as we thought he was. I don't, I don't know. Maybe he's not playing as consistently, and maybe actually, it's almost like those levels, isn't it? When, you know, Auger Eliassime beat Andy Murray, and everyone was saying how amazing he looked, and then he got absolutely chopped. So I actually felt kind of like, no, do you know what? Vavrinka playing like that against team wouldn't have done very well. But then Gaston went and did really well against team, and then team became tired, and he was struggling to hold on in that fifth set, and it was like, oh my god, is he going to do this? Uh, so then maybe. Maybe Vavrinka would have had a chance, but I will say that I was wrong because I was not outraged and I felt like it was kind of okay. And it was a good match against the team, so I didn't I didn't mind that at all. But um uh but yeah, I mean it's been it's been extraordinary, hasn't it, in terms of the the life changing those those sorts of breakthroughs. And you know what, we've talked about this a couple of times on the pod before, in that there's no such thing as a breakthrough. Um in terms of like one individual tournament. And I've always <laughs> said, because especially with the Brits at the grass, because that's my main experience for it, it'll be the same with the French, with Roland Garros, of course. But because you have this opportunity, um, and if you're a wild card or if you come through qualifying or whatever, and people will say kind of like, oh, well, if you get a good draw and you win a few matches, then like, bang, you're in the top 100. And I'd look at them and be like, it doesn't, work like that no I wouldn't be in the top 100 I'd move from 180 to 140 like (laughs) it's not how it goes you only really have a proper breakthrough if you're literally going to come through qualifying and make quarterfinals which and and I've said this for years I'm like who does that no one does that so that that's the only way it They're can transform your life. to do that. <laughs> I know. So now I'm going to have to change my sort of uh, little spiel I go on. Because I remember when I was playing some doubles with um, Sabina Siki and she was ranked, I think I ranked about 180-ish, something like that. And she qualified and reached the last 16 of Australian Open. And she then went to Roland Garros. She was still in qualifying. She was ranked like 125 or something. Like that was the jump that she that she made. 
Um, and so it's just trying to explain, you, even if you get to the last 16 of a slam, you know, the points, you, they really do reward consistency. If you want to do it in a one-off tournament, you've literally got to reach quarterfinals. So um, maybe people are understanding that now and that's just going to be the new thing. But it's unbelievable though, isn't it? That she's going to be a top 50 player and that changes everything. That's getting her into the best possible tournament. So the WTA premier level, she can enlarge her team if she wants to. She can plan out her year. She doesn't have to live from tournament to tournament. She, but... she won a... Yeah. But sorry, yeah. sorry no. to interrupt because no. there's it was one a very element. Str- it was a very strong but. I'm I am gonna I'm gonna bring some negativity and okay. a reality check to this because unless I'm mistaken and I don't believe I am, she will only be able to use the points that she's picked up from Roland Garros until May, until the next Roland Garros, and bear in mind there are barely any women's events on for the rest of this year, so she's not gonna be able to use her ranking for the rest of this year. So that's that's going to be a good kind of, what, seven weeks that you're not using ranking for. So she can use it for Australia. Great, she's going to get into Australia. She's going to get into those tournaments, Indian Wells, Miami, but, and then some of the clay court tournaments, but that is that's kind, kind of it. So it's not like, you know, you get that whole year ride. You know, you get a full season of a ride, if you know what that's I mean. A, that's a real downer. Sorry. I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm everyone. <laughs> but I feel really I'm, bad for them all. I'm enjoying this sort of the Cinderella story. Okay, so the points right. Points might only have until May with the points, but the money. The money will make a difference. That's oh. not does it you don't have to give the money back in May if you don't get back to the semifinals. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine that's fair <laughs> enough but I did just kind of feel a little bit when I was thinking about Gaston and I was thinking about um Trevisan and, and Podoroska and you know everybody I just feel a bit kind of like oh I, f- I find that the Gaston one is is slightly different because it's his home slam so uh, so he has all this crazy hype around and I hope he's fine when the crazy hype disappears. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's like a, a British player suddenly having a breakthrough at Wimbledon. Everyone's going to go bonkers over them. And, and I wonder what it's like when, you know, the tennis, the tennis tour moves on and suddenly all these offers aren't coming in and then you've got to go back to doing what you were doing. So I, well, I can tell you in terms of the experience, like I've never had that experience when it comes uh, to being British because I didn't win any matches at Wimbledon. But um, <laughs> in terms of my friends who have experienced that, uh, you're absolutely right to be concerned about that. I think almost all of them have really struggled. It, they really struggled. So it yeah. was, everyone wanted everything during that time. And then is it suddenly like, no one wants to know? Yeah, exactly. Or you pick up an injury and then it's difficult or whatever it, whatever it might be. I mean, it's just because it's so ridiculous. Like, I think I've said before, you're treated like you're a top 10 player when you're nowhere near that. So the pressure that is piled on you and everything that, that comes with being a top 10 player, you haven't earned. You, you haven't earned it. Like, yeah. you know, whereas anybody who's in the top 10, Ash Barty being number one in the world, she's worked her way there. She's gotten through the processes. She's... She's got there. And then that pressure becomes a privilege and you've earned it. Whereas it it does come as quite a shock to the system when you kind of are just so used to doing your own, your own thing. And then it's just kind of bang. So yeah, when it gets, when it gets taken away, it can be difficult. So it's a watch and see for the likes of Trevisan, who had that fantastic story that she had to leave the game between 2010 and 2014 because she was battling anorexia. She's come back. She had this breakthrough run at Roland Garros for Nadia Podoroska. It's up to them now to to take what they've done here and to keep it going, use the money, keep the ranking points. For someone like Iga Svantec, she was already 
spoken about. She was already known about. She was like, what, 53, 54 in the world coming into this tournament. So she was established, as it were, compared to the stories that we're talking about. Shiontek was someone who was established, but suddenly now being propelled onto a different level, onto a completely different stage. Yes, definitely. So I don't think she'll have the slight difficulties that, you know, say a Trevor San might. And I mean, look, you've got to be realistic in terms of, you know, you she could get a terrible draw at the Australian Open and lose first round and she could not really pick up many points. And then the pressure will be really on when it gets to the clay court season next year. It'll be her favourite surface. She's obviously done very well at Roland Garros. Um, but it's not like she's going to be seeded at Roland Garros. And then again, you could just get a terrible draw and lose first round. And then suddenly you're back down to 100, maybe just outside 100. So it's about trying to consolidate where you can. Oh, God, I'm being so negative, aren't I? It's rubbish. <laughs> I, I feel bad because we haven't, obviously, we only record each week. But I, genuinely, I have spent the whole week and last week being very excited and very positive about these <laughs> players and everything they've been doing and I've been absolutely loving it and the Podoroska is just amazing and then uh, you know and to have her and Diego from Argentina and then Trevor and yeah, all of it I have absolutely loved it so I do feel bad I'm sorry maybe I'm just a bit tired no it's it's, <laughs> it's no it's it's good to have both sides because someone like me can easily say oh they've got the money and the points and off they go they're going to wander off into the sunset and be happy ever well, I after. just want to make the point that it's even more difficult for them to consolidate than it is for any than it has been for anybody else because they will only have their ranking in play between January and May next year because there's nothing the rest of this year. So that is not a lot of time to try and use your points. That's quite a lot of pressure um, to, to try and consolidate and, and you know, try and earn that ranking kind of once again. And I don't want people to turn around and if they do slip back down after Roland Garros next year, because even if they reach second round, third round of Roland Garros, that's still going to be quite a tumble in terms of the ranking points um, to then say, oh, it was just a flash in the pan and that sort of thing. And I kind of feel like if they were given a full year, maybe it wouldn't have been. I don't know. I'm getting way ahead of myself. The tournament's not even over yet. I know. Stop Stop moving us on to the next one. We've, we've still got three more <laughs> days as we record this after this one. Let me ask you, in your day, I make you sound like a very old person, but uh, we, we had um, Fabrice and Tora, our guest on the TV show, we were talking about social media and I was kind of trying to figure out in my head how old he is. I don't think he's a huge amount older than me, really. And I remember turning to him saying, when you were playing, did you have a phone? <laughs> and, and wonderfully, he said, well, when I started playing, though, we didn't have phones and, and you know, things like that. Because I suddenly thought, have I just sort of said that he's very, very old? But uh, no, he said they didn't have such things. The other thing that I don't feel was talked about in his day, and maybe not in your day, although your day was a lot more recent, is this the subject of sports psychologists. And it's something that Igor Sviontek has been very open in. Recently, we've had a lot of players talking about meditation. Uh, Denis Shapovalov talking a lot about it, how it's helping him. Igor Sviontek talking about seeing a sports psychologist. And I just think that's a really, I don't know, in your day, which wasn't that long ago, were they around? Were you seeing them? Was it? Were you encouraged to see them? Was it a sign of weakness to see them? Uh, it was... There was... I don't know. These things sort of go through... I don't want to say fads, but they are kind of like trends in terms of this is what the new trend is. So obviously we're seeing the meditation, as you're saying. There's lots and lots of players now doing that, closing the eyes um, at, the, at the change events. Um, so that is... I'm not saying it's not 
um, legitimate or a really good way to to kind of um, control your emotions and, and to be as the, the best you possibly can be on the court. But it is a bit of a, a trend as in everybody's trying to, to cotton on to it now. Um, and we did have a period of time where psychologists became that sort of trend and that's what people were looking at. Um, but I, it didn't work and it didn't take off particularly well I don't think um because I just don't think there was enough substance I don't think the understanding was there well enough um and then then I think if you fast forward over the past sort of five years ish it's kind of come back in again but in a totally different way it's much more about I suppose understanding how you're feeling I mean look so for example when I worked with a psychologist I would say something like I'm not very comfortable when I'm 4-1 up in a set because 4-1, you know, it's only one break. Yep. But when I'm 4-1, I feel like I should win that set now. But I'm still actually, you know, a little bit away from winning the set. I've got a couple of games to win. They're going to come out to serve next, you know, whatever it is. And I'd say I'd actually almost more comfortable being 3-2 up rather than 4-1 up because I just feel like, you know, you're still in the thick of it and I don't feel like I should win that set. Even if I'm 3-2 with a break versus 4-1 with a break, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, I would just prefer to be in that situation because I don't feel like, oh, this is mine to lose now. And then <laughs> some sports psychologists, and this was multiple sports psychologists. This is not just one, but this is what we were dealing with, said, oh, well, just tell yourself you're 4-1 down. <laughs> thanks very much yeah and and that was it It, a lot of it was about conning yourself the whole sort of fake it to you make it kind of came out of that era as well there was there was all of that sort of stuff and I was like well the problem is is that there's a massive scoreboard right in front of my face and I have an umpire who's shouting out the score into a microphone (laughs) like at any given opportunity after every single point I can't pretend I'm four one down. Because it's also quite negative. It's putting you in a negative frame of mind. Yeah, it was. It was. It was just stuff like that. So that was for for me anyway. My personal experience. I mean, we're talking about fifteen years ago. That last wave was very much about that, and I. That's why I don't think it really took off. Whereas now, it's much more. Um, I think about like yeah. Of course you're stressed. Like, of course this is hard. Of co- like, you know, do you know what I mean? It's much more sort of being on board with the player and those emotions. Being like, yeah, you're going to be anxious. Like, let's try and deal with it. Let's try and contain it. Let's breathe. Let's do all of that sort of stuff. Rather than just being like, no, just tell yourself it's fine. If you just say, I'm fine, you'll be fine. <laughs> so that sort of thing. So I do think there's a big difference, but it's definitely being far more effective now and absolutely it's it's like anything if applied in the right way it's obviously going to be very helpful and it's finding the right person for you or is it also believing in it like you have to believe in i don't know like alternative medicine or something you have to have an element of belief in it for it to work do you have to have that with sports psychology do you have to be ready to accept help to see somebody otherwise it's going to be absolutely pointless if someone forces you into a room sits you down with a person and says right this person is going to sort you out yeah, you have to buy into it. I mean, you could be working with the best sports psychologists in the world. They could be giving you all of the perfect information. If you're not going to buy into it, it's not going to work. You know, you have to be ready to take on board the information. It has to be focused on areas that you think can help. It's the same with coaching. You know, it, it doesn't matter what you're saying. You could be saying the most perfect 
thing to your player but if they're not interested if they don't want to listen if they're not going to buy into it then you know you're you're pretty much stuffed you might as well be saying gobbledygook it doesn't make any difference can you become too reliant on us would that be your worry that you'd become too reliant on a sports psychologist so having to speak to them before every match or after every match and maybe some players will travel with them would that actually become a negative because tennis being an individual sport you've got to go out there and do it if you were relying too heavily on someone like that that definitely can happen and will happen to a lot of players and that is the sign of a bad sports psychologist it's the same if you're a coach it doesn't matter what part of the team you are if you put yourself in a position that the player needs you to function properly and to play a good match, you're doing a terrible job as far as I'm concerned. I think that if you're a coach, a sports psychologist, it's all about empowering the player. You can do this because tennis is a problem-solving sport. It's a decision-making sport. It's one of the very, very few sports where you're not allowed, you are strictly not allowed coaching. Of course, the WTA Tour has an exception, but it's only for a very, very small amount of time in the match. You're allowed one or two chats with your coach. That's it. The rest of it, you have to figure out on your own. And I personally can't think of any other sport where that's the case. It has to be all about empowering. And you see it with a lot of coaches. They become a necessity and the players can't do it without them. They need their help all of the time. And, and that can become a little bit of a problem. Look, you know, it's fine if the coach is, I suppose, always there or if the sports psychologist is always there. But then what if something happens and you can't talk to them before you go on court and you can't do this? So for me, the best team members are the ones that really empower the players and almost make themselves if you do such a good job you almost become redundant do you think it's going to become the norm though that a player a player who can afford it we should say will have a coach and a hitting partner and a fitness trainer and a nutritionist and a sports psychologist yes for the players that can afford it yeah at the top end of the game for sure because uh, and again with that becomes a lot of money if you're employing such a big team I just feel it's something we're talking about a lot and you're finding out that a lot of players actually have spoken to someone it's just not something and I guess on the other hand why do they need to talk about it like why is it Mm. I imagine something like that if you're speaking to someone is also quite a private and personal thing yeah and it it is it does kind of fall more into that sort of therapy sort of category you're just having a chat about all of the things that you think when you're on court I mean look you've done lots of um public speaking or tv work or whatever it is you know that whole thing of if you're nervous and you're standing in front of a crowd imagine them naked or imagine them all in their underwear do you know what I mean I think you know no one's I I, I've heard that before but I've never thought that I have to say I because I I do get nervous and I think nerves whatever you do is a good thing but if a say say a psychologist said to you if you said I'm just really nervous and they said to you do you know what just pretend you're on a beach and then and then go and talk you'd be like well that doesn't really help because I'm not an idiot no, that wouldn't help. <laughs> I know I'm not yeah, on a beach. <laughs> I have to deliver a speech. Like, do you, do you know what I mean? And and that was, I think. Look, I'm not saying I work with the best sports psychs in the world, but <laughs> I clearly didn't. But that was much more of, you know, the whole kind of oh, we'll just imagine people are naked. Imagine there's no crowd there. It was all about imagining, and. It was like, I don't have any imagination. I'm a tennis player. I'm not an artist. (laughs) I can't. I don't know. I just see what's in front of me and I'm trying to do, do you know what I mean? Like the stress is too much. And for me, that was something that didn't work. Like, would that have worked? Would that work for you? I don't think so. I mean, I've always managed to sort of deal with the nerves. I I mean, I, I, I think of nerves as a good thing. 
I think of nerves. I think if you're going out to speak in front of a lot of people, I think you should be nervous. I think if you're doing a live television show, you should be nervous. Or if you're doing a big match, I think it's normal. So I've always looked at nerves. I've never had crippling nerves. I think there's a difference. I've never had stage fright. I've never got to a point, and you yeah. see it with some players at tournaments at some levels. They're just so nervous, they almost can't operate. And I think at that point, you do need to maybe speak to someone and say, how do I get past that? I think I've been lucky that I can get terribly nervous and really I can't do this and this is going to be terrible and I'm not going to be able to do it nah. but I've always been able to it's never been bad to the point when I actually can't function and I've always thought about it and thought well it's actually quite a positive that I'm nervous because you should be because because I just I think they're a good thing I think I'd, I'd probably be more worried if I wasn't nervous I don't know yeah. I think if they weren't there at no, all I agree but it's just interesting that I think especially with Sviontek that we're talking about it a bit more and speaking to some former players throughout the tournament they're just like it just wasn't talked about in our day you know and yeah. some some say it was seen as a bit of a sign of a weakness if you had to talk to someone yeah which which I find which I find really which I find really interesting. I, that what I've loved about this tournament, many things, is there's so many things have come out of it. Whether it be fairy tale runs or different stories or different issues, or I just I mean I don't know how you've seen it remotely, but I've I think it's be, I, look a it's great this tournament is happening, but b I just I think it's been a fascinating couple of weeks. I think it's been awesome. It's been so great. I, I think I know, I know it's been a bit chilly and has been chilly. But can I just say today <laughs> Thursday I mean. was warm. There were lots of people on social media saying, "Oh, it's cold and windy." It was windy, but it was warm. It was like nineteen degrees. And the the other weird thing when you're at a tournament and we're staying in the same hotel, we're used to it being May and June. I woke up this morning to go for a run, and it was. I don't know, seven, seven, seven thirty, and it was pitch black outside. And I kept thinking, why is it pitch black outside? But it's October, so of yeah. course, do you know what I mean? So I'm just used to being here in May and June. And I thought, oh, right, I don't know how to deal with this because it's, it's, I don't think I want to run at night, effectively. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. But it's it been, it's yeah, that the fans have been missed, but the, the thousand fans here, I think it's really good that they really wanted to get fans in because the thousand have made a difference. Oh, um, huge difference. It sounds different. Especially when they've been supporting the, the French players, you know, like a Garcia or Ferro yeah. or Gaston, those ones that have really gone deep. They've been absolutely brilliant. And and how many stayed for Nadal till one thirty morning? Loads. I know. And they were free. It looked like they were sort of people, you know, when you see shots of people stranded on mountains. Yeah. And they're sort of, that, <laughs> all you could see were eyes. And these people were shivering, but they were they were staying there. And I, I tell you, in this sort of new normal we're living in, you know, normally when you're at a tournament, there'll be a team dinner. Yes. And, and you'll all get together and go out. That... It can't really happen this year because, I mean, in France, I should say that you're allowed eight people in a restaurant right. to sit down. Um, bars have been closed. And again, masks everywhere, uh, apart from when you're sitting down eating. But in the streets, when you're outside, when you're at your desk, masks all the time. Um, so no team dinner this year because, it, you know, I think people, some people aren't completely comfortable with it and it just doesn't feel right to do it. So instead, <laughs> we wanted to have a team outing because we've all been together working. So we're going tomorrow, we're going for a team COVID test. <laughs> oh, nice. That's good. Well, is it? 
Uh, we just thought it would be the responsible thing to do to have a test before we came. We, we're all quarantining for two weeks when we get back. So I, yeah. I cannot wait to not be allowed out of the house. I'm going to just lie on the sofa. I, I'm so excited about my two weeks of quarantining. And I haven't had any baguettes to this point. That is a very good effort. Are you going to have one before you leave or not? No. Just none at all. Look, do you know what? You've probably had enough baguettes in your life. You know what they taste like. All it's right. okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm on day 12 of the tournament, probably day 15 of being here. None so far, and I think I'm so close to the finish yeah, line. You've got to get there now. That I've just got to I've just got to see it through. But next time we speak, so next week, you've been really great because while I've been out here, you've kind of been working to my schedule, which is why you just want to go to sleep right now. Yeah. Um, and I've just got in. Next week, whenever you want to. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I, of course. I'm, I'm not allowed out the house. I can't move. I'm in all day. There is no... If I give you any excuse, don't believe it because I have nothing to do. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll talk <laughs> okay? to you then. So I'm all yours. Next week, anytime, any all day. All mine. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs>